You're listening to The Big Show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour four of The Big Show rolling on here. I'm Patrick DeMar, Alex Brody, no Adler as well. Big uh, big uh, news in the world of soccer, at least for Canada soccer, is uh, that John Herdman isn't going anywhere, but that points uh, got a little scary maybe. And uh, We go down that Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to be joined by Sportsnet soccer columnist and host of the Northern Football Podcast, Peter Galindo. How are we doing today, Peter? Good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Oh, not at all. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so late Tuesday night, a report from Andrew Gordy of News Hub in New Zealand had current Canada men's head coach John Herdman possibly closing in on a deal to become the new manager for the All-Whites. Uh, so yesterday, Herdman confirmed his commitment to Canada through the 2026 World, Cus- World Cup. Could you give us a crash course in how uh, we got to this point? Yeah, I, I honestly think that this goes as far back as possibly June. If, if you guys remember wow. the, um, the the labor dispute between... Canada soccer and the players and how everything kind of came to light regarding the Canadian soccer business deal, how they siphon pretty much the entirety of Canada soccer's commercial revenues because they handle the negotiating rights of that as well as media. And in return, they get all that money. And that is a massive revenue driver for Canada soccer. And one of the things that John Herman was constantly talking about right around the time qualification looked secured i think this was just after january last year Mm -hmm. and then again after they beat jamaica and officially qualified for the world cup was how much of a financial boon qualifying for back-to-back world cups as well as hosting a world cup is going to do for the sport in this country and it was really one of his strongest motivating factors to getting canada to the world cup in qatar now you fast forward a couple months after the labor dispute and everything comes to light All of a sudden, these reports trickle out from England that John Herman's a candidate to take over a few clubs in England. Now, from the looks of it, he was maybe like the fourth or fifth candidate on that list. But regardless, he was among the shortlist. Now, nothing really came of that in the end. It was pretty much rubbished from the very beginning. Now we go to these New Zealand links where... Herman obviously has strong ties to New Zealand. Mm -hmm. His son was born there. He coached the women's program before coming over to coach the women's program in Canada. And you kind of think, okay, well, there's a possibility there. And then he confirms in his statement that there were other offers, as you would expect. And really what I think about this is, and I remember we were asked about this constantly, shortly after the Morocco game, Canada's World Cup finale, on the Northern Football Podcast, the podcast that that I... Uh, host and whatnot what is John Herman's future and I was constantly saying look don't be surprised if other offers come in that's guaranteed that Mm -hmm. this always happens whenever you know anything like this happens but if the labor dispute continues if the money still isn't rolling in as much as maybe Herman had initially anticipated maybe even as as far back as six to, to ten months ago Don't be surprised if more of these reports start to come out and then maybe he starts to entertain them if he doesn't get what he wants. And now here we are, you know, early February, end of January, this report comes out. And yes, he turns it down now. But guys, don't be surprised if more of these stories come out and if these problems still persist financially within the Federation, that he starts to seriously entertain these offers even more. He's still committed, no doubt about it. I think he wants to see this out. You, you, you can see it in the way that he speaks, that he wants to see it all the way through to 2026. But 
maybe if it's taken out of his control, he may not have any other choice. We know there, there's still a lot of problems. Sorry, there's a lot of problems with uh, with Canada's soccer business and how they go about doing things. And it should there be any sort of concern that John Herdman was even considered leaving, especially and like with all due respect to a program like New Zealand. Well, yeah, and, and listen, from his point of view, I guess, I guess from a broad uh, perspective, you, you could understand why he would mm-hmm. leave, j- just in terms of the sporting side of it, because John Herbman is a builder, right? That's what he's done his entire career. And he goes back to a place where he clearly has strong emotional ties to it. Um, his son, Jay, has constantly spoken about how he wants to play for New Zealand internationally. Um, so that makes sense. But if you were looking at this from a Canadian perspective, it really is a massive stain on the Federation and mm-hmm. on everything about it because you, you have this, this coach who comes in and against all odds takes this national team, which was a complete disaster before he took over and gets them to the World Cup. And sure, they lost all three games, but they were competitive. And mm-hmm. you can see that the potential is there going into 26. And then he leaves for a program that, Sure, they might automatically qualify for 2026, but they are further down in the pecking order than Canada. Yeah, it would have been a complete disaster, and it would have brought to light, I think, the problems that we are now seeing on the financial side, on the federation side, even more. Now, I still think it's we should still focus on that, and I think that this is a warning sign, but maybe not as strong of a warning sign if he were to have obviously left for good. So what does Canada soccer need to do to just like, is it just straight up as simple as you got to invest more money? You have to be really serious about this. And I know they're, they're really big at starting growing the game at the grassroots level. And that's key for a country that is pretty foreign to this game. It's only been, you know, in the last 20 years, maybe less than that, that has really grown in popularity. What can Canada soccer do to make this not a problem? And like not having, I know they won't have the, the qualifying cycle in 2026, but there's going to be, you don't want to have the noise heading into a tournament that you're hosting, the first 48 team tournament. Yep, 100%. And maybe just to put it into perspective, the large revenue streams that Canada Soccer sort of relies on for their income would be player registration fees, yeah. uh, government grants, and then the FIFA prize money, which they just got about a little over $10 million from participating at the World Cup in Qatar. They're going to get a few million more for participating at the Women's World Cup mm-hmm. this summer. But obviously a small size of that, let's just say, you know, 30% for each of the men's and women's programs, they are entitled to some of that money. Then the Federation keeps the other 40%. So that is really where it goes through. Now, if you look at their financial reports from 2018 to 2021, the commercial revenue has grown about three times from 2018 to 2021. And that's before they qualified mm-hmm. for the World Cup, right? So you, you put into perspective now that they've qualified for a World Cup, more sponsors are going to be interested, and they have brought on some more sponsors. CIBC yep. joined just before the World Cup. And as far as I'm concerned, or as far as I'm aware, excuse me, I think Canada Soccer, unlike past deals, did get a, at least some money from that deal directly. But it's, it's more so the... the I guess it's a it's an outlier rather than the norm, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you look at all those factors, how they generate money, and really the the only other way that they could do it is by scheduling friendlies. Yeah. Um, because if you host marquee friendlies, let's say they bring 
and I'm just throwing a name out here, but let's say they bring an Argentina to, to, to Canada okay. and they play in a friendly, they sell out a stadium. You can get the ticketing money from that. You can get, you know, all sorts of, of, of money from hosting a friendly like that. Um, the problem is now that they are going to have to play a CONCACAF Nations League campaign mm-hmm. in 2023, when it looked like there were going to be some open slots to play friendlies because now they could qualify for the Copa America, the South American championship um, that takes away potential opportunities to schedule friendly. So they're really in a bit of a bind here when it comes <laughs> to trying to find some money. And that means, look again, John Herdman still is committed, but if this problem continues, guys, don't be surprised again. If you start to see more stories like this and he just says, you know what, if, if it can happen, guys, I'm sorry, I, I have to go. Like th- this is untenable now. Yeah. I think we know, like, I think all the federations across the globe, I don't think they take too kindly to the Nations League. Uh, it's it's a concept that's really, you know, it's just it's such a busy schedule. It's just it, you got your domestic league. There's so little off time. It's just we got to make friendlies more competitive, and there's a trophy waiting for you at the end of it. Hundred percent, and not only that, it, it the players are just exhausted yeah. by the end of it. Like look at look at Stefan Estacio, right? Mm-hmm. He was playing every three to four days on average from the September international window right up until the World Cup. And then what happens about 30-odd minutes into the Croatia game? His hamstring tightens up and he's out for the rest of the tournament. He only just came back a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. in a starting role for Porto. So that's the damage this does, right? Alfonso Davies picks up an injury just before the World Cup. And sure, he only missed a couple of weeks, but he came in a little colder than he probably would have if he had been playing every week leading into the tournament. So all those things are knock-on effects from it. And yes, it's a massive opportunity to play Copa America. That could be another revenue stream mm-hmm. as well, because the, the the TV money behind it, especially if it's hosted in the U.S. and you get the gate from that, um, that could be some extra money. But you do have to share in that prize pool, of course, because there will be 16 teams involved, assuming Canada is one of them and they qualify through the Nations League. They are entitled to that, but it would be much more beneficial if they could get the money straight from you know, hosting certain yep. friendlies or even just participating in other friendlies. Cause even as an away team, you get a bit of a cut of, 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 of the gate take. Yeah. You met, we mentioned the Copa America 2024. They're going to be welcoming the top six nations from CONCACAF. Canada's currently fourth among the, the, the rankings in CONCACAF, uh, just by the U S Mexico and Costa Rica. How important is it for Canada and the Confederation to be involved in, in a bigger, uh, Confederation tournament like Copa America compared to like the gold cup? I think it's massive. And I think that was one of the biggest takeaways that certainly I had. And and I asked John Herman ad nauseum about this right after the Morocco game was how important is it to not only get more of our players into those tier one, like top five league environments, Mm -hmm. but to also play against top tier opponents more regularly. Because that's really the one thing that you would say was the knock on the men's team entering the world cup was that they just didn't have enough match practice at that level. And it's hard to do that when you're constantly playing in Nations League or at the Gold Cup every two years and, and, and whatever else is, is the case. And I guess starting earlier and qualifying didn't help them either. But regardless, that was the one knock against them. They played one top 10 to 15 nation um, throughout the entire qualifying cycle, and that was Uruguay yeah. in September. Whereas you look at Belgium or Croatia or Morocco and pretty much every window they were playing against elite opponents. So they were ready for that. Plus 
they had at least four to five times more tier one players mm-hmm. on their roster. Mm-hmm. So all of that put together, you're starting to see more players move to those high pressure environments. Ismail Kone goes to Watford. They could get promoted to the Premier League. Alistair Johnson's at Celtic. That's yep. a massive club. They're playing in Champions League. That will help a lot. Jonathan David will move to a bigger club. Same with Tejon Buchanan. So all the wheels are in motion there. The, the, the real big step, though, is getting more games against that elite level. And certainly playing against Copa America is a very good way of doing that. So that could have lasting ramifications going into 2026. Talking with Peter Galindo, Sportsnet soccer columnist and host of the Northern Football Podcast. Uh, mentioned some transfer uh, transfer deals there. Uh, another couple guys on move. One today, a couple just uh, just before the deadline hit was uh, Kyle Laren leaving Turkey, now heading to Spain for Real Valladolid. Uh, bigger league, obviously, scored in his debut. How big is it for a guy getting to that big league in La Liga? Feels like he's been around forever, but he's only 27. Yeah, I know. It, it, it is crazy because even when he got drafted into MLS, I think he was only about 20 at the time, wow. just turned 20, when he made his debut, which is on the slightly younger side for those for those draft picks coming out of college and yeah. into MLS. Um, so, I mean, yeah, he's been around now for a while, but the fact that he's gone to a top five league, that's obviously great because he's going to be going up against the best. But the fact he's come off the bench, scored on his debut for a club that was really desperate for goals, and not only that, but is a strong tactical fit because they like to play a 4-3-3. Laren slides in very well in there. He can play as a number nine. He can play as an inside forward off the left. And you know he'll be playing every week. And really more than any other striker that I've seen in a while, he really is a confident striker, Laren. And I know that that sounds like everybody kind of relies on, on confidence, no matter the sport, but him especially. Like when he's in rhythm, when he is, is leaned on and he's trusted, you just see the, the, the difference in, in his quality of play. Like even when he came to play for Canada and he wasn't necessarily playing every week, the, the transformation was really noticeable. And he would still get goals even if he slogged through 50, 55 minutes. He'd get that decisive goal, and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, he's coming through clutch. So that's massive for him to be able to go to Valladolid, to start off with a goal. He's going to be a strong tactical fit there. He should be playing regularly. And now that they're out of the relegation zone and the fact that he did start off so strong, he's going to have the confidence of not just the coaching staff, but also the fan base too, which is huge. Transfer deadline day was on Tuesday, and uh, Premier League clubs spent just over a shade over $1 billion American in the month of January alone. A little under half of that belonging to Chelsea. Uh, And this spending spree is not without its critics. Of course, La Liga president Javier Tebas said uh, the British market is doped. How big of an issue is this for for the economics of the game? Because I I think if there's any other sport that has a wider divide between the have clubs and the have not clubs, it's it's domestic club soccer for sure. And I love how back in the spring of 2021, everybody was worried about the super league and oh yeah. my God, what's this going to mean? Well, I mean, we kind of already have that exactly in the fact that the premier league clubs and, and COVID really, really, um, I hate to use the word benefited here, but it, it really separated the premier league even more from the rest of Europe mm-hmm. financially, because I mean, I'll use an example here Inter Milan, they win the Scudetto a couple years ago. They're on the up and up. They're qualifying for the Champions League regularly again. COVID hits. Their Chinese owners, Suning, go into massive financial debt. 
And so the, despite posting, you know, 20 to 30% growth in revenues, they post nearly 200 million euros in losses last year. So now they have to sell some of their best players. They can't afford to re-sign some of their best players. Milan Skriniar, who was one of the top center backs in Europe, mm-hmm. really, and was being quoted for 70 million euros last summer, is now going to PSG for free because they can't afford to <laughs> sign them to an improved contract. So that, that's one example. They can't sign players. Meanwhile, you have Chelsea under new ownership, kind of, and, and I will admit that this is actually quite smart. They're almost evading the, the financial mm. fair play yeah. rules by signing these longer term deals and spreading the, the amortization. And FIFA's closing that off years. now. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think UEFA was smart to, to stop that because clearly they found a loophole. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, look, they're, they're going to be at risk here of violating financial fair play because they're probably not going to get into the Champions League. Nope. Um, they have already spent a, you know, a ton of money, and usually they do recoup some losses through player sales, but that hasn't really happened as no, much since haven't. Todd Bowley came in. And what's crazy is... Well, yeah, Zayek is uh, Zayek's paperwork couldn't get through. He was supposed to go to PSG, and then he was stuck there. Exactly, exactly. And Connor Gallagher was was linked to Crystal Palace for thirty to forty million, but that couldn't get over the line, and and, and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, what, when you look at it now, they're going to it looks like violate UEFA's financial fair play rules. But when you look at past cases like PSG, Manchester City, they've been fined sixty five million for violating financial fair play, but they've only had to pay $10 million of that up front, and then the rest of it's conditional, or you can appeal it, what have you. So Todd Bowley could just look at that and say, you know what, that's just the price of doing... It's almost like a luxury tax, yeah. right? That's the price of doing business. Um, we'll gladly pay that if it means that we can feel the competitive squad and fight for titles every year. And I guess that's his right, but it kind of goes to show you just what a mockery financial fair play has been and the fact that Premier League clubs are now pulling away ahead of everybody else in Europe. Uh, switch, switch it over here to North America. MLS is getting ready to be the first major North American sports league to shift over to a streaming-only service to watch their games with Apple TV. Uh, is this going to hurt or hinder the league, you think, in a maybe not so much the pocketbook, but maybe the eyes of the sport? Because I, the MLS is still much a league that relies so much on gate receipts and being in the stadium. Yeah, and honestly, when I look at some of the local markets, um, I think that's where it's really going to show. Yeah. Because I do think that winning and fielding competitive teams is probably the best way to attract fans in, in a league where maybe it's not the number one ticket in town. But, I mean, fans are still going to go to games if that happens. The mm-hmm. problem is, are they going to want to pay you know, eight ninety nine a month to, to watch their local team that they maybe don't have as much interest in? Yeah. I'm not so sure. It, it, it's great for the league in that, they're getting this money in. They're going to have. They're going to see revenue growth, and the clubs are going to see revenue growth because of it. But that's the price they're going to have to pay. And I also would not be shocked if we start to see this elsewhere in Europe, because mm-hmm. I just saw a report maybe about a week ago that J.P. Morgan is going to pay a billion euros to Syria in Italy wow. for basically their TV rights, and they're looking at maybe just selling it to a single entity rather than having different domestic packages across the world, which is what the Premier League does and how they make yep. so much money. Um, and honestly, I could see, see it going that way because these clubs all across Europe, outside of England, are desperate for that cash. Oh, yeah. They might see the, the U.S. And, and Canada as a guinea pig and say, all right, will this work? Will it not work? 
and then maybe try to copy that model. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with this Apple deal because it could be a sign of things to come for for the, for the rest of at least the the soccer world. We'll see what happens in, in North American sports, but it, it really will be intriguing to see what happens. Canadian Championship draw happened this week. CF Montreal, TFC probably meeting in the quarterfinals. That's that's pretty crazy. But do you think the gap maybe a little bit is closing between maybe the upper echelon CPL teams and the Canadian MLS clubs? I, I think it would be, yeah. Certainly if you look at one-off games. Um, I mean, a lot of these players, keep in mind, they were in MLS academies yeah. or were in those high-performing environments before they went to the CPL. The problem is they just never got the chance to play mm-hmm. at the professional level. So because they get that platform, because they get to show off their talents and they're playing week in, week out in a competitive setting, they're going to match, I think, in at least a one-off game, what these MLS clubs can bring them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's you know that, that makes for a fascinating competition too because when you have these these single game knockout matches and you know maybe the the CPL club or in you know certain cases now the the PLSQ club or the League One Ontario club is is hosting mm-hmm. you you get a chance for those upsets and then these players get put you know basically they they, they you they're starting to see more uh, attention and and maybe other clubs might see oh this player is actually half decent and and I think that was the case with um with a young player now who's at uh, Halifax Wanderers in the CPL, but he was playing for um, the PLSQ club that was playing in the Canadian Championship a couple years yeah. ago. His name is Zachary Fernandez, and he shines in that competition despite them losing in their only two games in the competition. But then he makes a step up to the CPL, and now he's got some MLS clubs kind of looking at him. So it, it's a domino effect here. Um, and honestly, I do think that this is good for the CPL because. A lot of people were worried about the quality of the league, mm-hmm. and you're starting to see now that, you know what, maybe it's not so bad. Um, and, and it really is a solid, solid league when you maybe temper your expectations a little bit. And the fact that young Canadians are getting a chance, it, it means that maybe they'll be able to, to make careers out of themselves because we're starting to see it now with certain players going to Europe and to MLS as well. And a couple couple CPL storylines I'm going to be following this year is is it Forge's title still to lose or can Atletico or Cavalry step up? And we also welcome the first expansion franchise in the league in Vancouver. In terms of uh, Forge and whether they can retain the title, they're always going to be favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think Bobby Smirniotis is, I, I really do think hands down one of the best coaches in North America, not just in Canada. I think you should be given the CF Montreal at least a chance at that job. Yeah, and maybe it's the fact that he wasn't a French speaker. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't given the control that he kind of tends to be used to having because he is kind of the sporting director plus the coach at Forge. He was the same at Sigma before. I don't know. But because he's at the helm and he just has an eye for unearthing these young talents and also talents from outside uh, of Canada, I do think that they're still going to be the favorite and they have that championship pedigree that is so often cliche, but does ring true. Um, But it's going to be a very competitive league this year. I I really do think it even more than last year. Um, HFX has brought in some really young up and coming talents. They have a new coach. Um, Cavalry is is always competitive. Um, And now Vancouver comes in and and they've built quite a solid spine here. Um, And, you know, they can fill it out with maybe another couple of, solid midfielders, maybe add a little more experience to the fold. 
they might not make the the, the playoffs, the top four, but they'll certainly mm-hmm. be a competitive side. So, and, and that's only going to help the quality of the league too. Thank you very much, Peter. This was awesome. We'll uh, definitely uh, connect here soon as we get closer to the the MLS season, CPL season, of course, Gold Cup this summer. Where can we find your work? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at GalindoPW. Um, you can find my stuff at Sportsnet, MLS, Northern Football Podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts if you want some some in-depth Canadian uh, soccer chat at, at your fingertips. No, it's, it's an awesome podcast. Always love listening to it for sure. Thank you again, Peter. Cheers, guys. Thank you. There you go. It's Peter Galindo, of course, from uh, Sportsnet Soccer Columnist, Northern Football Podcast. Does some work for the MLS as well. And he joined us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline using the same secret recipe since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or delivery at 403-248-3344. I'm going to replay our conversation with Frank Saravalli from earlier on today uh, as we are closing in uh, about a month away from the NHL trade deadline. That is next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.